Tim Key. Hi, Marsha. You just came back from Sydney not that long ago. Yeah. How was it? Good, yeah. Have you been before? Not to Sydney, no. Sydney is yeah, it's good, because if you can imagine, I went to um, Sydney, so it can't really be bad. This was the, it's what, the Sydney Comedy Festival? Y- no, Sydney oh. Arts Festival. Oh, right. Which is... um. In a way, it kind of was even better. It was really nice. Tom Basden. Do you want to explain? Tom Basden he's... is like this... He's sort of quite a dishy 20-something who... Um, he's quite smart and writes sort of quite funny things. And you've done a lot of stuff with him? Yeah, he was in a show I did called Cowards. Uh, there's four of us in that, and he was one of those guys. And uh, we write stuff together all the time. And before, and you were in a play together? In a play you? together, and he wrote that play. And that was what took us to Sydney originally. Okay. We did the play in Edinburgh, and then... Um, Someone saw the play and asked for us to take the play to Sydney, which we said, yeah, we'll do that, because then we go to Sydney. And then they saw my show as well and said I could do my show in Sydney as well. So I did both. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Do you have any worry about your stuff? translating yeah because yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. do straight stand-up you no do. i don't really it's kind of it's quite peculiar peculiar stuff sort of curious old things that i do i guess you read poems i do read poems for my sins, comment and i commentate while i'm reading them yep and uh, i do some lists and um i've got some sort of quite avant-garde short one minute films so all in all it's quite a peculiar um piece but having said that it's I think it would be wrong to sort of say that it's like, you know, massively... It's quite different-ish, but it's not like... It's still comedy. It is me still with a microphone trying to make people laugh, so it should translate. And how did the Australians take to it? Oh, didn't like it at all. No, they did. They liked it. But you do worry, going into the first night, that you'll just do your first line and you'll just get blank faces. And especially because my first line, I get blank faces in this country, so deliberately it's kind of a bit of a weird starter. But I know I get it back straight away and get everyone on side but if you're playing that game with Australians you've set your stall out as being rubbish and then you have your first line that brings them back in and if you don't bring them back in then it's going to be a long hour for everyone particularly myself but you did bring them back in yeah yeah every time it was great in fact I'd say yeah there were really really nice audiences in Sydney really good have you taken it anywhere else not this show took it to obviously London then Edinburgh yeah and then Sydney and then I'm taking it to Melbourne uh, next month and then as part of the prize because I won the thing in Edinburgh the I, Edinburgh Comedy Award Edinburgh Comedy the Award. Big, yeah. biggest award the gigantic yeah. yeah I mean enormous uh, <laughs> because of that I get to go to uh, Montreal and things like that so that's exciting it's very exciting yeah and again I would think it would be interesting to see how they take to it kind yeah of and I've heard difference. that Montreal people are a bit peculiar and a bit oh, really? kind of yeah so it's um, I'd be interesting to see how that Venn works whether they're peculiar and a bit offbeat in the same there might be a nice match but it might be that they're, you know, a little bit kooky and a little bit weird, but in a different way, in which case we don't have a chance and we're not going to get on. You just don't know, really. I did it in New York. I did some of it in New York. And how and was that? Fine, yeah. So far, it's always been fine, but okay. you just don't know. You, you always worry that it'll be the next moment where you're sort of are slightly out of your comfort zone that will be the bit where you're found out. I had it here as well, doing this run. You oh, don't really? know, Even though you just Yeah, Yeah, definitely, because, you, you know, you do Edinburgh, and you, for the first time I felt because I'd done Edinburgh for about nine years, you kind of feel, I did anyway, that 
I starting to get an audience and that people were coming because they knew who I was and they'd seen some of my other shows perhaps. But you worry taking it back into Soho when there's posters that say that you won the award, that you're going to be faced with 130 people just sort of going, well, go on then, you've won the award. Let's see why you won it. Have you noticed a difference in audiences? Since? No. Once or twice, straight after I won the award, I was when I go on stage, I always ask for no real glitz. I just say, can you just say Tim Key with some poetry, just so they're prepared for the first poem. And um, I didn't get to the compare in time, so the first gig after the award, he said, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love this. He's just come back from Edinburgh. He's won the award. He's a fantastic comedian. And I came on, and then obviously my first bit is awful. And uh, everyone's just sort of almost looking quite pitifully at me, sort of going, oh, bless, you shouldn't have won the award. This is a bit too much for him. <laughs> have you ever done more straight stand-up? Because I know you've done a lot of sort of sketch show stuff, but have you ever done that just yeah. when you first started? Yeah, yeah. But not good. Really? Not ideal, no. What was your material? Oh, poor. <laughs> what did I do? I did a bit about cuckoos got it in the neck. I had a right go at cuckoos. <laughs> Why cuckoos? Because they like steal people's nests. I mean, it wasn't great. Um, wasn't great. <laughs> Quite a bad stand-up. Cuckoos, tuna fish, I don't know. It was poor. I started um, at the same time as Mark Watson. The two of us kind of did a show together. We did half an hour each. And that was all fine. That was quite fun, actually. And then we went off and did our stuff in competitions, like six or seven minutes in competitions. And Mark did his kind of Welsh thing, and his stuff was um, regularly would go to the same competition, and he'd get through, and I wouldn't. Or ultimately, five months later, he'd have won the competition and I just had this harrowing night in the back of my memory that I was trying to blank out of the, when I got knocked out of the competition. So at what point did you switch? It was quite circuitous, the route from that. Because what I do now has got something in common with stand-up, but it like went right around the houses to get there. In what way? Stopped stand-up because it's awful. And then did a lot more scare stuff. Worked with Alex Horn a lot. When you very first started doing anything mm. comedy stuff... This was with Mark Watson yeah. in Cambridge. Yeah. I was living in Cambridge. I finished university and went back to Cambridge because I didn't know quite what to do. So I was kind of trying to sort of sort myself out. And uh, as part of that project of sorting myself out, I auditioned for a play. Like I got the student newspaper and found a play and found a, a pantomime and auditioned for that as well. And I got into both. And I didn't really look at this, but it turned out that that pantomime was the Footlights pantomime which is the big comedy club there. Which has, you know, Stephen Fry was it's in it, Eric Idle, Mitchell and Webb. Yeah, yeah, and also, like, newer ones, obviously Mark, but also the Garth Marenghi, Rich Iwadi and people like that. And um, I was sort of juggling that and a job. Did they not... Aren't you supposed to be a Cambridge student? It's. I think it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you... A lot of them were, certainly. I pretended that I was. Did you? Yeah. Did you invent a degree? Yeah, I was doing a post-graduate <laughs> um, degree in Nikolai Gogol, looking at the work of Nikolai Gogol. Who did you have to lie to for that? Generally, I tried not to... I was actually quite scarily good <laughs> yes. on the deceit front. But yeah. I mean, so to all the other people that you were in the play with and No, but that's the thing. I, I never did that. I never sort of went, oh, bloody Gogol. Still back to me books. I mean, I never, I never did that. If it came up and they said, "How's your degree?" I was like, "Fine." Oh, by the way, did you and uh, get it away from that as soon as possible? There was moments when we had rehearsals and things and meetings. There was one in my college because I did have to say which college I was at. Oh yeah. So I said which college, and uh, it was a college. My brother went to that college. He he did go to Cambridge, so I kind of knew it a bit. But there was one rehearsal where we had there, and uh, so I met my friend because she said she didn't know where about this room was. So could she meet me at the college? So I said, yep, fine. And we met and then we were just sort of 
walking around the grounds talking and me just sort of keeping my eyes open for any sign that said the name of this room and occasionally we'd get to a dead end and I'd say, oh, now what is... Oh, that's what... Oh, sorry, I'm miles or so engrossed <laughs> talking, uh, obviously, to you that we are now next to this gate, you see. Um, so let's go back a bit and have a look perhaps that way. So really I had maybe one or two conversations which were even close to being sticky. I think that's the worrying thing about lying. People don't find out because there's no way they would find out. You'd go and say, well, I'm going to do a bit of work. There's no point that someone will say, hang on a minute, stop. You're not going to work, are you? You're probably a temp. And you went all the way to Edinburgh. I did the pantomime and then I auditioned for another sketch show where I first sort of wrote a few sketches. And then the third show I did was the... The one that went to Edinburgh. That was the one that went to Edinburgh, and that's the one that I met Mark Watson in. Right. And at that point, the director of that, once he'd cast me, phoned me and said, I know. How did he find it I out? don't know. It was quite a funny old period, because it was a bit Michael J. Fox in um, Secret of My Success, in that it was quite a double life. I had this whole university thing, but the rest of it was really normal. So I remember when he phoned, I was just watching the football with my mates from home, because I was at home, that's where I lived. But yeah, he said, we need to meet this afternoon in this pub. And uh, I just went in and met the two directors. And uh, they said, well, this is the situation. We want you in it. But we think it's better if people don't know because they might find it a little bit difficult. So we kept it a secret then from the cast for another two months. When did you reveal it to the rest of the cast? We finished writing all of the stuff and uh, put it into a script for the first time and had a dinner party to celebrate. And as part of that, the uh, director said... I Did he sort of stand up and yeah, sing a glass? Tim's got something he needs to say. And I uh, sort of said, yeah. Oh, yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, really... Um, n- well, I mean, I'm not a student here, per se. And that was... Uh, and and was it all right? Yeah, absolutely fine. They obviously found it quite funny. Like, it, it was quite interesting... Peculiar. So no one was like, I'm so betrayed. Not really. It wasn't a big deal. You I know? suppose it's, it's not just, like you've said... There's worse lies. Yeah. It's not like you've said, oh, my dad's also got cancer and I'll help you through That's your dad having cancer. You hear about something. those sorts of stories. and Yeah. But at the same time, you can sort of, when you do read about those sort of dreadful stories, you do see how these things get out of control. But so you took the show that you did with them up to Edinburgh. Yep. And it got nominated. Got nominated for the Best Newcomer, Perrier mm. Best Newcomer. Was that your first time in Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been up there a couple of times, no, once, to watch some stuff. But yeah, that was my first time doing stuff. And so then the next time you went back, was that with, with Alex Horn, the show we yeah, were talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, the next one was the awful one, where I went up just with Mark, and we just rented a flat... And we wrote a show while we were up there, which is good. It was a nice show. We did that quite a lot in London afterwards. But mainly it was being in Edinburgh to do the stand-up shows. And, um, yeah, Mark won the um, Daily Telegraph one, and he came runner-up in the So You Think You're Funny one. So he did very well. And that was the one where you didn't... Not quite so well, no. It wasn't a vintage year. But it didn't put you off? Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Really? No, not too bad. I suppose there are moments where you, you have to sort of slightly dig in and think, hmm, maybe he needs to slightly rethink. I, I wasn't, like, an amazing stand-up who was being brutally wronged on all, by all these judges, I was awful, and they correctly identified that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, Some excellent judging went on. <laughs> Very incisive. Well, so you said that you went up and did stuff in Alex Horn's show. Yeah. And that was the one that got nominated for the Perrier, and also he was telling us how you went to Singapore. Went to Singapore, yeah. Does that festival still exist? I Singapore? don't know. I, without wanting to disparage that festival... I certainly, at the very least, I'd put festival in um, speech marks, possibly italics. Just Not that you. it was bad, but it was just peculiar. Like In what way? The festival was our show, 
Kitty Flanagan's show, a man called Paul Wagner's show, and Abbaresque. Is that the Abba tribute band? Yeah. Yeah, them. And that was it? It was just quite small, and a large percentage of the comedy festival was an Abba tribute band, like, <laughs> compared to most comedy festivals. Who paid for it? Robert. Was it just a guy? Oh, it was very much just a guy. It was very much like a guy who, from what we could work out, was pretty well-connected and pretty well... had a little bit of money behind him. This was right. his thing. I mean, it was it was hilarious. It was really... He was great. He picked us up from the airport and popped us back to our hotel and said, well, go and freshen up and I'll pick you up in a minute and we'll go and play volleyball. And he picked us back up out of the hotel. We had, like, had an hour to get ready and then get back. We're almost sort of his little uh, play things. Off we went, all really jet-lagged, to his house, and uh, he had a swimming pool there, and he sort of said, oh, go on then, get in the pool, let's play volleyball. He didn't play, I don't want to play, no, you. <laughs> we were just like these comedians in his garden, in his swimming pool, playing volleyball before we did the festival. So it's like he just had an idea of like, I want to have some comedians come and entertain me. Felt like that. He was a lovely guy, right. you know, and it was, a, it was an amazing experience. We did it in the Ruffles Hotel. It was brilliant. And Presumably they... there were other people in the audience, it wasn't just him. No, no, that would have been really good if it was just him. <laughs> If he'd hired out a theatre and just sat there eating jelly babies and watching us. There were other people. Right. Yeah. It was good. Incredible thing to do. And also so kind of early on. Yeah. Comedy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's one of those things where you, whenever you get the invitation to go to one of these places, it's a peculiar job because you, like in a lot of jobs, a good thing happens in your job and you think, well, that's good. That advances my career or that's more money or something like that. I think it's a peculiar job, the one we have, that there's a lot of moments where it feels less like you've kind of made some progress in your work and more like you've won a prize. To get invited to go to Sydney for two weeks, you know, it's great. I guess it's great career-wise because, you know, you try your material out in front of a different nationality and you see whether, you know, you could maybe go back to Sydney again or go to Australia again. But mainly, you know, there's a lot of high-fiving goes on because you just think, well, that's fine, I'll sit next to you on the plane. It's really, really fun. That sort of side of it. And that was the first example of that for us was, do you want to go to Singapore? Well, clearly we'd want to go to Singapore, yeah. Are you nuts? It was great. Quite soon after that, you did your first solo show in Edinburgh, was it? Yeah, uh, it's called Luke and Stella. So tell me about Luke and Stella. So it was this character I had where he, he's in a friendship group, but they don't really, they sort of bully him a little bit. He's sort of on the outskirts of this friendship group and he buys most rounds. It's all set in a pub. He keeps going off to the bar to get another round for everyone. It keeps being his turn. He's not even drinking. He's driven them to the pub. They're all awful, like, dreadful guys. He's a little bit older by a couple of years. He's just sort of missed out on getting that point in a provincial town where you can get out if you want to get out. And the whole thing is just um, one disastrous night. It's kind of quite a tragic piece. It's comedy, but it's kind of quite tragic. And so that was a one-man play? And that was a one-man play, yeah. Radio 4? Yeah, and then on the back of that, I got a radio series from it, which is called All By Luke. Which got repeated recently. Which got repeated, and there was just a Christmas special. And it's quite, obviously it's character comedy, but it feels, you're acting, basically. Yeah, I think it's got more in common, really, with a play, I think. Than yeah, a, that's what it feels I, like. I made the mistake of saying I thought it was a bit like drama to um, one of the other people who I do Cowards with and uh, got quite a lot of stick for that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you've done other things. You're, you're... I thought I was like showing off. But you do. We'll talk about the play in a second, yeah. but also you've been making films with Tom Basden. Yeah. Short films, and you had one that won Best UK Short at the Edinburgh Film Festival and got nominated for a BAFTA. Yeah. yeah. Which was... It's called The One and Only Herb Maguire Plays Wallace Island. 
It's too long. The title's too long. The it's film got... was too long, 26 minutes, and the <laughs> credits are about three minutes. It's just <laughs> um, too long. I really loved it. How did you It's online. It? Is it? Yeah, on the website of the... Moxie. Moxie? Yeah. I really loved it. I think it's really beautiful. I found it really sad. It is quite sad. And it's kind of obviously, yeah. you know, there's funny bits, but I was watching it expecting, because it's you and it's Tom Baz, then you both do comedy, and I was thinking, well, and actually, like, I was quite moved by it. Yeah, <laughs> which... I, I guess there's sort of a seam of it, which is a bit sort of clownier. But yeah, at its core, it's quite a lonely old tale and quite a sad tale. And it is quite, yeah, a heartfelt, um, poignant piece. But then all of the dialogue is pretty much, there's a lot of nonsense flying around it as well and Basden plays it I mean I, I play it like pretty straight I suppose but my character is at least a bit of a goon but Basden's character is kind of a pretty straight kind of enigmatic guy and Basden plays it pretty remorselessly straight so it does create it's certainly not not a circus is there plans to do any more like, yeah. Do you want to do a feature film? Because you both of you wrote it and then started it. Yeah, yeah, we're writing a feature film at the moment. Are you really? Yeah. Can you say what it's about? Well, broadly speaking, it's about China. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. quite broad. And it's about, uh, at its core, one of those relationships. Do you know what it's going to be called? No, there's a working title, which is called Tile City. Right. So the play that you're doing with Tom Basin that we mm. mentioned, that's not a two-hander. This is Party. No, that is a five, six-hander. Tell me about it. It's a play called Party, and it's a nimble little comedy, kind of lightly satirical. We were talking about the other day, and I think it's, it is sort of a little bit like when we write sketches for cowards. There's, a, I guess, a seam of that where it's someone maybe out of their depth trying to deal with a situation. And uh, the situation is that four people are setting up a political party, and but they, they haven't got the intellectual artillery in order to do that. But they basically are limited as to how well they can do this. And then there's another guy who's come along who's misjudged the situation. He thinks it's a party, as in a party, and has to just sort of cope with uh, the fact that it's not and the fact that actually they're trying to create this political party. And they kind of underestimate him. But because he starts asking more and more questions and because he is actually interested in how it actually is going to work, he eventually destroys the whole thing. So that's going to be on at the Arts Theatre. Mm. You keep mentioning Cowards that you did with Tom Baz. Yeah. So this was a sketch show that you did in Edinburgh. Yeah. That also got picked up by Radio 4. Yeah. And then got made into a TV show. Well, almost simultaneously, actually. We got interest from the radio and the TV at about the same time. But yeah, we made a three-episode series. I always, whenever I'm interviewing someone, I put a thing out on Twitter and say, you know, do you want any questions? And I had people saying, oh, oh is there going to be another episode of Cowards? It's my favourite thing I've ever seen mm. on TV. Is there going to be any more series? I don't know. I mean, we really want to, but at the moment there's not. Everyone was really nice about it, and the press we got for it was really good. And everyone that we've encountered in the BBC and stuff... It was on uh, BBC Four. BBC Four, yeah. They've all been really positive about it and really encouraging. The talk is go away and do other stuff and, you know, develop as individual performers and individual writers and things like that, and then maybe come back with a, another three or another six after that. Well, the other thing that you've been doing is also for BBC Four is the show with Alex Horn and Mark Watson, We Need Answers. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, still going. Which looks like just ridiculous amounts of fun. It is a lot of fun, yeah. This yeah. started off in Edinburgh. Yeah, which was even more fun. I mean, in Edinburgh it was kind of... Uh, we were all doing our shows and then we decided, because we were all friends, me, Mark and Alex, that it would be good to do something late night in Edinburgh. So we designed a quiz and we did it at midnight. Quickly explain the premise. Yeah, the premise is there's those phone services where you have a question and you just text your question to 63336 and they give you an answer straight away. You shouldn't use it for a pub quiz, but if you're settling a dispute in a pub, for example, or you might have a deep philosophical question 
or you might be wobbling as to whether or not to ask a girl out, you can just text and they'll text you back. And uh, Alex's wife met someone from uh, this company and was talking to this guy and uh, on the back of that Alex sort of hijacked this and said right that can be the cornerstone of this quiz and then they helped us develop it and we did it in Edinburgh at the Pleasance and um, it was really a very haphazard slipshod effort really but yeah that's that year we all had solo shows and so you all have like an agent telling everyone to go and watch your show and you all have a promoter who's promoting the show and you all have like someone doing PR who gets journalists to come and watch the show and stuff like that and with this it was really the antidote to all of that we didn't tell anyone in the industry to go and watch that show we just tried to get people who were drunk to come and watch the show at midnight every night and uh, I think that that was actually quite a positive thing I think that that was the thing that got picked up. I kind of quite like it. It's quite a romantic thing, I think, about Edinburgh. That It was a very edinburgh show, you know. There was no cynicism at all. It was absolutely not a pitch. Not that any of our three shows were a TV pitch or a radio pitch, but it was even less so. It was not a showcase of any kind. It was, as you say, just uh, literally having fun. Awful, just dreadful, depraved, decadent, horrible stuff. But people have quite enjoyed it. And did it alter it at all? Because well, I don't know, because it's a, it's a massive thing for someone to say, yeah, your show... I think we'd quite like to make that, really. But probably, obviously, you can't be quite that drunk and we'll make it in 28 minutes. And obviously, it can't be quite that mental. And um, I think they did a pretty fair job in managing to make that shift. I mean, it's quite a compliment to say that it looks like we're still having fun because it's quite fiddly to make that sort of thing. And I think that's the most exhausting thing. Apart from that, it's a lot of preparation and writing and because uh, a lot of it's off the cuff on the night. But you need to have some stuff up your sleeve to sort of say to Jenny Bond or whatever you've got to do. But mainly, it's just that trying to make sure that you're not overthinking it on the night. You're trying to still be doing it in the moment. Alex was saying that your ultimate thing is that you'd really like to do it live. We had talks about that. I don't think we could ever do it live. Mark just would swear his head off. Mark, I mean, most of it you just can't use because Mark just sort of swears a lot. I mean, the, <laughs> the Edinburgh version was just... Mark would often just sort of roar onto the stage at the start and just absolutely abuse the audience for five minutes. <laughs> And then we'd do the quiz. You've done other TV things. You did an amazing programme, Mondo Iannucci's oh, yeah. Trumpet, which is... Well, it's probably the best thing that I've done, in a way. The concept of that, it was Armando Iannucci's show, which is set in the future, about 2030, yeah. yeah. And it's a nostalgia show with talking heads talking about our time and maybe talking about 15, 20 years after our time. Just looking back on things fondly that didn't happen. Make-believe stuff that's going to happen over the next 20 or 30 years. And you were... I did one sketch which was uh, about EastEnders. It was talking about the special effects they used to use in EastEnders and it was showing footage of EastEnders from now with Pat Butcher and stuff and then showing how we did the special effects, in particular how we did the bottles and the drinks in the pub. So the idea was that the ruse was that the way that that is done is using green screen. So they have a big green screened out room and loads of glasses hanging on bits of wire. And then they shoot all the actors miming drinks. And then afterwards <laughs> they map the drinks they've shot in the green screen version onto the actors. So it looks like they're actually drinking. It's pretty high concept. <laughs> There's quite a lot of it on YouTube, actually, if you yeah. want to that you can go and sneak. And then the other thing that you did was Charlie Brooker's Screen Wipe and then this year News Wipe. That mm. you're the... This is a pretty niche area. You're like the, the resident, offbeat, topical, satirical poet. Yeah, lucky to get that one. Is if, there if, anyone else who does well, it? Well, I don't know. I suppose once they've decided that that's what they're going to have in that show, you'd be disappointed to miss out. How did it come about? 
the producer just watched my poetry once in the Albany, little venue on Great Portland Street, and just phoned me up and said, would I like to record a couple of poems? Maybe they could work on uh, Screen Wipe. And so I just recorded some poems in Edinburgh in 2007, and they put a couple in, and then um, luckily asked me to do Newswipe when Newswipe started. And do they say to you, okay, write a poem about this? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they give uh, you yeah. specific subjects? Yeah, 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 really specific. Usually twice, like so that they we do some right at the start of the series because obviously it's topical. So maybe about six or seven, and I sort of write some poems about those, and then a bit of a top up. So I just did some last week about Toyota the uh, recalls, one about MP's expenses and one about John Terry. When you do poems like that, do you sort of knock them out or do you do a redo and redo? Well, it's about as close as I get to redoing. So I kind of tend to like to just dash things out. With my poems, usually I just, that's why they're kind of not great. But with those ones, yeah, usually what I'll do with those ones at the very least is write them. I write everything longhand, but I'll type them up. So I'll have a second think about it when I type them up. But they're not that well thought out. As you probably can probably tell i don't sort of just get hammered and just write one on the way home from the (laughs) pub but obviously that's quite a big job for me that show because it's one of the best shows on telly so i'll try and do it as well as i can so that all came about before you won the edinburgh yeah you won that last august so you're the current winner you're the yeah i didn't bring my crown (laughs) was it exciting was it a big deal for you because we've had a few perry have you and and they've been quite cool about it no it varies hugely that some people are like yeah you know and other people are you can tell you know they're pretending to be cool but you can tell i think i'm gonna pretend to be cool right but did it mean a lot yeah it was enormous for me because i had done it for a few years and it's a big thing obviously you don't go up there planning your assault on the comedy award because you'd go out of your mind but you know it's there i always sort of have seen people win it and gone to the sort of party and uh tom basden got the newcomer a couple of years ago and it is quite cool to sort of play it quite cool but there is that list of people and i've looked at that list in the past and thought that's a good list and i've looked at it since i won it and thought it's good to be on that list because they're quite good a lot of those people is it still exciting genuinely is really exciting still uh, it hasn't sunk in definitely like you're constantly kind of well i'm doing my show at the moment and there's no way i would be doing my show if i hadn't won it i don't think a lot of stuff comes from the fact that you've won the award um other things that i want to ask you about you've got a book your so, second book instructions guidelines tutelage suggestions other suggestions and examples etc and descriptions conversations a piece about moth a piece about moth, yeah. And it's... It's kind of a little bit like my Edinburgh show in that with the Edinburgh show, you just kind of jot things down over the course of a year and then you start putting it together a little bit and then you start performing it and work out which bits work and stuff like that. But really, it's like little bits and pieces that you just find funny. And it's very pretty. It's well. beautifully designed. I can say that because I had no involvement in the design of this book. The idea, I suppose, was once we had this kind of eclectic mix of um, material inside it of varying quality we'd then get this guy, Ryan, to design it. And then he beautifully designs it, at times over-designs it. And I suppose, in a way, part of what it does, I guess, is the same as the films in my show and the poems in my show, in a way, in that they're kind of given too much weight. They're kind of... The material in there basically doesn't deserve to be designed in that way. You know, it's kind of marrying up some stuff which is all over the place with being sort of given this beautiful packaging... In the same way as the films, I make the little films in the show and they're stupid poems, beautifully, beautifully, painstakingly shot. So I guess there's a bit of that going on as well in that that stuff in there merits just being written on a scrap of paper and just sort of show it to some kind of uncle. 
but in actual fact, it's this um, beautiful aubergine-coloured piece. One other thing I want to ask you about is, and I know this because I follow you on Twitter, you're running the marathon. You sponsored me. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. You put a thing up on Twitter saying, I'm running the marathon. It's awful. Yeah. And that was all. And then you put, here's my sponsor thing. And I ran a marathon last year. I ran the New York Marathon. Oh, okay. So I went <coughs> on and left you slightly patronising message, not realising you've done it before. I did it last year. So if you find it so awful, why are you doing it? I don't know. I've, you've I've already done it. I've regretted it completely <laughs> since. I've had a week of just thinking, why, why have I done that? I, but what was your thinking in the first place? My thinking was that it's a good lifestyle thing for two months to get fit how did you find it the first time really liked it i liked all the training liked everything about it until canary wharf on the day i really liked the first two-thirds of the marathon as well and then from canary wharf onwards it was the worst hour and a half of my life it was just dreadful until your sort of life unravels at canary wharf it's really nice everyone is really really enthusiastic and like it's quite a sort of an onslaught really you just don't really expect it to be quite that It's quite moving because there's just so much positivity and uh, obviously so many kind of stories just trotting along. But also lots of jelly babies. Everyone gives you jelly babies. And I loved it and you get swept along. Then you go over Tower Bridge and you just think, wow, this is like properly London now. And at that point I was kind of just thinking, this is, I'm so glad I've done this. Then frustratingly really, you go over the bridge and you can see Big Ben on the way over there on the left. And then you go right and then uh, you sort of think, this is a shame. This isn't going to end well. And you, you look at your clock and you think, oh, I've done about half now and I feel great, but be interesting. My body's not really ever done two halves next to each other. So we'll see how this goes. It was great until Canary Wharf and then afterwards it was hell, absolute hell. You start to kind of turn it into something bigger than it is. It becomes quite a sort of philosophical problem in that if I stop now, I'm the kind of guy who stops. And if I carry on now, I'm the kind of guy who carries on. And so I just kept on lurching forward. And then you have these signs saying, you know, 19 miles, 20 miles. And it's quite demoralising when there's quite a lot left. And I just want to use a a different word, but I can't, I don't think I can use it. But there's only really one word for it, which begins with F, and it sort of means exhausted. And I absolutely was, like, dead on my feet. And then you see 19 miles, then 20, and each of them. You'd think it would get easier, because you're closer but each of them you're just thinking that I'm I'm furious and then 25 and you just think 25 I, this is awful even though that's like a mile to go and you see 26 and I, I really very very strongly remember seeing a sign saying 300 meters and just thinking no rather than thinking yes I was just thinking no no I can't do that it's amazing it's a pretty hardcore experience do you not feel better about it having done it now, though? Yeah, I just think I should have just not done it again. I just think I've done it. There's no need to do it. Yeah, it's a big... I, um, I'll, I'll do it, I think, now. It's just quite a big public climb down, isn't it, when you sort of say, yeah, not doing it now. Thanks for sponsoring me. It's <laughs> your money back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the mechanics are if you don't... Oh, yeah. What would I say to you? Would I say... I don't know. Because the problem is I'd put you in a bit of a pickle because you'd look pretty churlish if you said... Give me my money yeah. back. Yeah. So I think I'm going to err on the side of trying to do it. Okay. I did 20 kilometres yesterday. That's good. You've still got like, ages. It's not till April, is it? It's not till April. Yeah, you've got loads of time. Yeah. So, Tim, uh, Slutcracker's on at the Soho Theatre until the 20th and then is on at the Arts Theatre in March. Party is also on at the Arts Theatre. Yeah, yeah. Party is 7.30 from the 1st to the 15th. Of the and Arts. all of these are up on your website. All of these is... are up on my website, www.timkey.com. 
www.ghostsofthecoast.co.uk. Tim, thanks so much for coming up. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.